Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH Reading Radio. I'm the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and your host, Candace Huber. This week, I'm talking to Hugo and Nebula award-winning author Rebecca Roanhorse, author of the Sixth World series, which began with Trail of Lightning. Trail of Lightning, which was billed as the indigenous Mad Max Fury Road, is a post-apocalyptic monster-hunting adventure with a badass Navajo woman protagonist named Maggie Hosky and her unconventional medicine man sidekick, Kai. The second book in the series, Storm of Locusts, releases April 23rd. Trail of Lightning has also just been nominated for the 2019 Hugo Award for Best Novel, and I named it my favorite fantasy novel of 2018, so I'm particularly excited to bring this interview to you. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. So the first question I have is you're an award-winning short story author. I loved Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience TM. It was so good, and it won a Hugo. So what made you want to move from writing short stories to writing a full-length novel? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, the novel came first. Ah, okay. I, yeah, I actually started writing the novel in 2013, uh, finished and sold it, I guess, in 2016. Uh, and then it was an edit when the call went out for um, an indigenous-focused uh, short story um, issue for Apex Magazine. And so that January, I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I can't pass this up, but I have an idea, something I want to write about. So I wrote the short story actually after I wrote the novel. It just, because publishing is slow, the short story came out first. First. Ah, okay. And so then what made you want to write the novel originally? Ah, um, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I hear a lot of authors say this too, but I think it's because I wanted to see something I hadn't seen before. Like, I'm a huge fan uh, of science fiction and fantasy, and particularly urban fantasy. I love it, but I hadn't uh, seen a, a Native character that was fully Native and in a Native culture, like surrounded by sort of the gods and heroes and monsters of her indigenous culture. And so that's what I wanted to do. I really wanted to write the story that I wanted to read. Yeah. And why science fiction fantasy? Is it just because it's something that you liked? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I've tried to write like a uh, realistic literature. Or I don't know, whatever sort of fantasy term that is, but uh -huh. I've tried to write that and then things keep creeping in. Magic keeps creeping in. The supernatural creeps creeping in. I tried to <laughs> write a, a romance, actually, a firefighter romance with a friend of mine. And uh, suddenly, you know, my, my character could start fires <laughs> with his mind, you know. And she's like, this is not what I was going for. So clearly, I think, yeah, this is my realm. But that's so much fantasy. more interesting. <laughs> I think so, too. I mean, that a romance where a firefighter can actually start a fire. That's great. I know, see, in this conflict, and, you know, he's, he's very tortured about it, but, you know, yeah, it didn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> and so in Trail of Lightning, which is the first book of the Six World series, one of the main themes, and really in Storm of Locusts as well, is trauma. Um, there's, mm. there's a lot of trauma that overshadows particularly the main character, but really all of the characters. For example, their powers don't really come until they've been through a traumatic event. So was there, why did you choose to tackle trauma in that way? And how do you think it fuels the characters for better or for worse? Yeah, you know, I think, gosh, well, that's what interests me. Um, 
generally, I, I like, you know, that, that subject in general, but for me, when I created, you know, sort of my world, um, I wanted to have, you know, strengths come through uh, trauma. So that, or at least raise that question, you know, so the, sort of the question I think that uh, Kai and Maggie debate a little bit in Trail of Lightning is, can good things come from bad things? Like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, particularly the Native community, uh, but the Black community as well, you know, that I'm familiar with is, has been subject to so much trauma, historical trauma, generational trauma, you know, individual trauma. It's something that we all live with and carry in our bodies. And, uh, and it's something that we have to learn to, to deal with. And rather than seeing that as a weakness, I wanted to see that as a source of strength. And so literally in my world, it gives you superpowers. And so often, you know, as as it is, you know, it, it, so it gives you superpowers, I guess, to get through whatever it is that you're going through at the time. It's sort of specific. Um, and I guess the, uh, the flip side of that is often, you know, the power that gets you through the worst times in your life, uh, you outgrow it and you no longer need it as you go forward. But we often cling to that because it's something that we understand and it's something that we know even when it no longer serves us. Uh, so I wanted to play a little bit with that, too, you know, and see how that could, um, particularly with the main character with Maggie, like, see how that sort of plays out. Uh, yeah, so I guess it's, it's a lot to unpack there, but that's really, that was really my motivation in creating uh, that magic system, is that, you know, some sort of strength come through trauma, but it not always be, you know, a positive thing. Hard to say. Yeah, and that keeps going in the second book as well um, with with all of that. And I just think it's so interesting. And the other thing that I think that Trail of Lightning that you did really well was portray like an abusive relationship. It was it was really well done the way that Maggie sort of works through and feels that uh, and her attachments. I th- I just think that was really well done. That's not really a question. I'm just complimenting. It was a well well done relationship. (laughs) Um, And so in, in both books, you incorporate a lot of myths and legends, which are really interesting. There were, there myths and legends that I was not familiar with. So how did you choose which ones to incorporate? Uh, Well, so I'm okay. Wingay on my mother's side, which is a, a tribe, pretty small tribe here in New Mexico. Uh, but I am married to a Navajo man, and I studied Navajo law uh, in law school. I am also a lawyer, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I so I practiced in Indian law, and I actually practiced uh, out on the Navajo Nation uh, in the Navajo court. They have a separate court system, which you have to be barred into. And part of that uh, process or part of learning uh, Navajo law is learning Navajo traditional stories. And so... I learned all those stories and I, and that's, and that comes into, you know, the practice of Navajo law and, and the way that they create their laws and, you know, what sort of they uh, prioritize and just their way of thinking. Uh, and I'm, I was very enamored of it. I'm very, uh, it speaks a lot of truth and I'm really touched by it. And, you know, I lived uh, on the Navajo nation uh, for a couple of years and it just spoke to me like it's just uh, and I feel like yeah there's not a lot of people know about it 
Um, and a lot of people work mostly in stereotypes of Native Americans, you know, things that they know about from the 1800s or something, but they don't see this vibrant, living, contemporary society that also pulls in, you know, their traditional teachings as well, but but they're contemporary, you know, they're in their lost. Uh, and so I wanted to pull from some of those uh, because I feel like there's a lot of truth and there's things to learn there, but I also think, you know, they're incredibly entertaining, just like any sort of uh, traditional stories or mythology, for lack of a, a better term, um, from other cultures as well. You know, they have something to teach you, but they're also just great storytelling. Yeah. And the monsters are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you. I did make up the monster. So not everything you read is, you know, an actual Navajo belief or story. I did take some liberties. Uh, because it's, it would be, I don't know, sort of, uh, I guess when you're writing science fiction and fantasy, you know, you still have to create a story and you still have to, you know, create conflicts and things. And so, yeah, I did take some liberties with the monsters and creating the monsters. But I feel they're very in keeping sort of with what would be a Navajo monster. So, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. So why did you choose a post-apocalyptic setting? What I think is really interesting about your world is that like pretty much like the world has ended, but the reservation, Dineta, is that correct? How you pronounce it? Dineta. Uh, is fairly untouched. And so why did you choose to do it that way? We're in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, you know, I guess. Um, if you've ever lived, uh, and I think this is pretty typical for reservations, so I'm just going to make a generalization. But uh, if you've ever lived on the res, uh, you know, it's pretty limited. Your resources are limited. They're often super rural. Um, you know, you're uh, isolated. Uh, when I lived uh, with my in-laws, we ran on a generator. We had to haul our water in. There were like seven of us, you know, in a trailer. It was, it was pretty tight living. Um, but I thought wow, if anyone can survive an apocalypse, it's going to be these people. It's going to be my in-laws. It's going to be my neighbors. It's going to be, you know, a native folk. We're ready. <laughs> and so, again, I wanted to turn what the outside world might see as a weakness, like, you know, lack of uh, running water and electricity, Internet, things like that, um, lack of technology into a strength. So when the rest of the world sort of goes to hell in a handbasket, you know, the reservation's fine. It goes on as is because there wasn't a whole lot to lose. <laughs> and if anything, you know, in the wake of sort of collapsing technology and, and everyone else, you know, sort of freaking out, uh, they rise and they become a power and they become, you know, something uh, that they hadn't been allowed to be before under colonization. That's so powerful to think of that, that, you know, it's it's just it's empowering to be able to do that in your work. And I think it's really cool that you do. <laughs> oh, yay. Thank you. <laughs> so, it just seemed natural. You know, I really wanted to sort of play with that idea again of like, you know, what people think of as weaknesses are actually strengths. Yeah. And so let's talk about Storm of Locusts a little bit. That's your new book that's coming out later this month. And in that book, the characters venture beyond the wall for the first time. And uh -huh. we get a glimpse of the world that has gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and uh -huh. without too many spoilers or, or giving anything away, can you tell us a little bit about that like, and why it was important to have them 
venture out? Gosh, you know, I think in the first book, Maggie is surrounded by walls, you know, both literally in within, you know, Deneta and then metaphorically, right? She sort of closed herself off from uh, society and people and, and everything um, because she's been hurt. Mm-hmm. And so for the second book, I really wanted her to break through that. So she's, <laughs> I know, I'm so, I'm a little heavy handed with the metaphors, <laughs> but she's literally breaking down her uh, wall in the sense of like leaving Deneta, going past the wall that protects it, and breaking down her personal barriers, right? Letting other people in, doing her best to make friends, as it were, you know, becoming an auntie or taking on that auntie role. Trying not um, to kill people. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, gross. It's gross. Uh, so that's why. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's the next step, I guess, in her in her overall growth, for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't feel heavy-handed to me. Uh, you know, it, I oh, mean, good. it's still an, an action-adventure. But, you know, you could tell that, that this character, and the character has a lot of apprehension about leaving what she knows and that was really interesting to me either she's she's afraid and that was really important as well and so it felt the the second book storm of locusts felt a little bit less sort of emotionally charged i guess than trail of lightning was and i was wondering if that was intentional because storm of locusts there's still a ton of action adventure and there's a lot of things going on but it was uh, it was there was a little bit less of the emotion it was more working through things yeah you know part of that is because i wrote trail of lightning um during the, uh, I guess, like 2013 to 16, like during the Obama administration. And I wrote Storm of Locusts after I sold Trail of Lightning in like a year, <laughs> nine months, I think, actually. It was much faster. Um, and that was uh, during the election cycle, I guess, and into the Trump administration, or maybe just mostly the Trump administration. <laughs> and so for me personally, I wanted a lighter book. I felt like, you know, a lot of things are changing out there in the world. You know, there's a lot of uh, conflict already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want to bring that conflict into my life. Like, I didn't feel, you know, sort of, I guess, in that space where I wanted to delve deeper into, you know, my own trauma, which is what I pulled a lot from to write Trail of Lightning. Um, I wanted a little bit of a lighter book. Uh, so, you know, Maggie's still got to grow. She's still got to do what she's, you know, got to do. But hopefully there's a little more humor in Storm of Locusts. Hopefully it's a little more, uh, a little less, like, heavy uh, on the emotional side, like you're talking about. Um, and just, you know, things there, but definitely a little more of a fun adventure. Yeah, I definitely felt that um, where, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that it's any you know, it's just different as far as the feel of it. And it is lighter and it does feel more humorous, although there are dark things in this book as well. Like I'm not saying, oh, it's all fun and rainbows because it is for sure not. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that I can write fun and rainbows. I try sometimes. It usually just, you know, just like that firefighter thing, it just veers off into like (laughs) the darkness. Dark grittiness. But I I love the new characters you introduce. There are new gods, there's a new monster, there's a new hero. Um, So I'm wondering a little bit about the characters in the book and who you identify with the most. Uh, Writers say that there's a little bit of themselves in every character. So are there any that you identify with more than others? 
Um, see, you know, yeah, uh, it's hard to say. There are certain aspects, you know, like you said, that every character uh, takes from me. I think, you know, clearly Maggie, there's a lot of me and Maggie, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not violent and I don't kill people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of me and Rissa. Uh, I think you know, sort of Rissa's reaction to Maggie is probably the reaction that I would have in real life. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that Maggie would be like a lot of fun to hang out with. Frankly, you want her <laughs> at your back, you know, in a monster fight. Yeah. But seriously, girl, like, you know, get over yourself sometimes. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of me in the villain as well. Uh, and so and, and his reaction, uh, I think, to sort of, you know, the what he sees as his rejection uh, which is actually not a rejection, uh, and you know, sort of the way that his story plays out as well. Yeah, and the the villain was really interesting to me, just from a like powers perspective, and I and I don't want to give that away, but it was really cool the way that all of that plays out, and the way that the the powers that the villain has is is really super interesting in this book. So I'm going to tell people to read it to find that out because it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when you were writing Trail of Lightning or thinking about it, what I'm I'm curious as to what came first to you. Did you build the world first? Did the character come first? What sort of came to you first when you got the idea? Yeah, I think for me, generally, characters always lead. Um, So... Definitely with Trail of Lightning, actually, I was at a law conference. I was at an indigenous law conference. (laughs) Um, And I was sitting there, and I was just sort of thinking, and I was like, you know, what if there was, you know, an indigenous monster hunter? You know, and what if, you know, this was her story? And that's sort of where I got the seed of the idea. Uh, And I think in general, because I'm just thinking now, my notes, uh, when they come back from my editor, are always, can we build out the world a little more? So I think always in my first drafts or my early drafts, I'm so focused on character and getting the interactions right and their stories right and like everything about them that then the world comes into into place. And, and often with my world building, I only put enough in so that you understand who the characters are. I'm not a big, and I'm writing an epic fantasy right now. That'll mm-hmm. be my next series. And, you know, you have a little bit of a different uh, expectation with epic fantasy, like what you're, how much world building you're going to do, because often you have these, you know, monster <laughs> Bibles of everything, you know, that they eat and they, that they drink and all their holidays, you know, just everything you could think of, right? And, yeah. and, like, people expect that when they read epic fantasy. And so I tend to not do that. I tend to put in what serves the character, and so my editor is like, yeah, maybe we could build out the world a little bit more. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. So did you cut anything out? So now I'm interested in what you edited out. Are there any, like, cool deleted scenes or anything interesting that you had to edit out? Of Trail of Lightning? Of either of them, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> poor Kai. I did edit out some <laughs> Kai scenes. <laughs> I have a couple of him where he's like, you know, uh, I think when they're at um, uh, Mosi's, uh, when they're at Shalomar, uh, I had a scene where he was like, sort of like, hey, ladies, hey, you know, and uh, <laughs> sort of flirting and, and that sort of thing with like some some of the uh, female characters that did not make the cut. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I thought okay, we we still gotta like him in the end, right? So, so that's maybe true. Not. 
<laughs> but it sounds like such a Kai thing to do. Oh yeah, definitely. He was he was in his element. <laughs> um, and did so. How did publishing? So it was Trail of Lightning was your debut novel, correct? Mm-hmm. So yes. how did actually publishing that change your writing process, mm. or did it? I assume yeah, it had to be you know, quicker, right? Mm. <laughs> so one of the smartest things my editor did, and I really. Uh, advise like writers to do this if they can, not everybody can clearly, is he had me write the second book, uh, Storm of Locusts, before the first book came out. Ah. So that it was done, you know, I wrote it sort of still in that bubble because before you're published, you're writing in this bubble, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, you don't have haters yet. You don't really have like, you know, one star reviews. You don't have all this or even the positive things that are coming out where you're like, oh, maybe I should put more of this in because this is what people like, you know. So you don't have all the voices in your head. You don't have, you know, all the, uh, I guess, other obligations on your time that come with publishing. Because, of course, it's not just writing a book, right? You have to do all sorts of other stuff to support that. Um, So he had me do the second book before Trail of Lightning came out. And that was so smart. So I wrote it exactly how I wanted to write it. I didn't get as much time as I wished, because I don't know that you ever get enough time. Like I can I can see places in Trail of Lightning, things I would go back and change and fix and you know, oh I could have done this better and all of that. And certainly in Storm of Locust, I get that itch. Like, oh I, I can't believe it. I left that in if I could only change that. But you know, you have to let it go. You have to send your baby out in the world, uh, for better or worse. Uh but yeah. Yeah, the bubble is nice. If you can get the bubble for as long as possible, get the bubble. Yeah, and what about writing a series specifically? So was book two harder or easier to write than book one? And what about book three, which I assume you'll work on at some point? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So they say, Uh, um, gosh, they're just different. I think, you know, like I said, I was in a very different headspace. For one and two, uh, I must have rewritten Trail of Lightning, you know, a dozen times with like different endings. And, you know, I sort of knew where I wanted my characters to end up generally. But, you know, I changed how they got there and, you know, who they, you know, what what happened to them in the end. I changed a number of times and uh, I won't tell in case people haven't read it. But um, Storm of Locus, I was a little more focused. I knew what I wanted to do. Where I got stuck with Storm uh, is in the middle. I knew where I wanted to begin and I knew where I wanted to end, but what needed to happen in the middle, you know, that soggy middle they talk about with writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually wrote the beginning and then I wrote the end. And once I knew where I wanted the characters to go, I went back and wrote the middle so that I could create the things, the places and the people and the events that needed to happen to get me to the end. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, and let that be a tip. If you get stuck in the middle, skip the middle, write the end, and go back, and, go back. and you can be very focused about what you need to put in. And there's so much that happens in the middle. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, and so what are you currently reading? Oh, gosh. Well, okay, so I would say the best thing about being in publishing is that you get art. You get like books 
mm-hmm. way ahead of time, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Like, this is a perk I didn't even know existed. <laughs> but now that I know, like, I try to take advantage of it. I'm always like, send me a free book, you know, six <laughs> months before it comes out. It's the best thing ever. Uh, so I'm reading a little ahead. Uh, Gideon the Ninth uh, comes out in, I think, October. And that is, uh, gosh, I don't know, that's some sort of genre, science fiction, fantasy mix-up. Uh, by Tasman Mir, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly, mm-hmm. uh, and it is awesome. It is just a joy. It is like a pure, wonderful pleasure to read. It's like trash, necromancers, and space, um, just voice and personality and humor for days. Uh, so I 100% recommend that. That was a great book. That Gideon made me want to be a better night. writer. It's called Gideon the Ninth. Okay, I'm going to have to remember that because that sounds fun. Yeah, it was awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and gosh, uh, Gods of Jade and Shadow uh, by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Mm-hmm. And that is 1920s Mexico and the Maya God of Death. And it's sort of, it's got a bit of a fairy tale quality to it. Uh, but it's also this very sort of bittersweet love story. And I just love her writing. It's just lyrical and, and really beautiful. And, you know, what a great, you get to explore like the Maya underworld, but you also get this 1920s Mexico, which is badass. Uh, so loved that one. That was great. Awesome. Yeah. And maybe just totally different. And this was actually out. You can get it now uh, is uh, The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. Mm-hmm. And that, that's military sci-fi. And I think I described it as like a mix of uh, Starship Troopers meets Edge of Tomorrow. It's like about a soldier caught in a time loop and a never-ending corporate war. So good. And uh, and the time travel is handled so well. And it's just, and it's such a fast read. Like I was just engrossed. Um, That was pretty awesome. Cool. Those sound really great. I'm going to definitely go look them up. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> so what's next for you? What are you working on now? I know you said you're working on your epic fantasy. Yeah, so I have an epic fantasy probably coming out in 2020 uh, uh, called Between Earth and Sky. And that's going to be sort of, um, gosh, an a indigenous uh, America-based epic fantasy. So you're going to have like sort of this ancestral Puebloan influence uh, uh, sort of maritime, uh, Maya influence, uh, and then sort of beyond. Uh, so rather than being set in a European, like a medieval Europe, you know, or something like that, I wanted to bring it to the Americas and, you know, sort of use the culture and the characters, you know, from there. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. That should be interesting. That's And then I have great. a secret project, which I can't Ooh. discuss, <laughs> but I'm only mentioning it because it will launch on, uh, or the announcement will come out April 12th. Ooh, so that's really so soon. Okay. That's really soon. So if you keep an eye out uh, for next Friday, uh, I'll have a big announcement on social media about my next new secret project, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. I can't wait to hear what that is. <laughs> and before I let you go, I have to tell you congratulations on your Hugo nomination for Trail of Lightning. It is so well-deserved. And I hope you win. You're the, you're, oh, I, I've been talking about this book for a while. It was my favorite 
fantasy of 2018. And so I'm, I'm really have my fingers crossed for you. <laughs> Thank you. I know that is a tough crowd though. Did you see all it the is. other nominees? Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing list this year. I know. I'm very intimidated, but I'm just, <laughs> So really, when I say I'm honored to even like be there, I am really just honored to be there. That was Hugo and Nebula award-winning author Rebecca Roanhorse, author of the Six World series, which began with Trail of Lightning. The second book in the series, Storm of Locusts, releases April 23rd. You've been listening to The Writers' Forum, a weekly production of WRBH. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's programs, including my podcast, Novel Ideas, can be found on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.